Welcome to Generation Money. This is your host, David. And in this episode, I interviewed Dr. Andrew Bondaruk, the professor of finance and the department head of finance at the University of Illinois at Chicago. This interview will be split into two parts, the first part airing this week and the next part airing in two weeks. Anyways, let's begin. A lot of our listeners are high school students and they are taking classes and they're trying to figure out what they should do. Is there anything that you had in your high school experience, maybe as a teacher or a class or an extracurricular that stood out to you and maybe led you a bit towards the job you have right now? Well, you see, I come from a country where there was no financial markets. There is no finance. I am originally from Ukraine and I was born and raised during the times when it was socialist planned economy. So we didn't have financial markets. It was all planned economy. There was no businesses. There was no entrepreneurship, no things like that. So I didn't have much of an experience during my formative years in high school, which I actually miss a lot. I wish I had more experience, more exposure. So my moment of truth, if you wish, it came much later. It came after undergraduate program. But I think what really helped me during my high school years to actually succeed in what I'm doing now and also be quite flexible in my career because I've started my graduate, you know, undergraduate studies as in physics and then I switched to different fields. We can talk about it later. What really helped me is actually taking a lot of classes in sciences, math, physics, biology. I think it's really important to understand that it's not only, you know, complicated stuff, but also it is something which shapes up your mind. It helps you to have a structured way of analyzing things, of approaching the problem. So if you're thinking about math, okay, I mean, you can, you are given a given problem, you think like, oh, you know, how am I supposed to solve it? But what also happens in your mind, you start thinking about how many steps I need to do in order to solve the particular problem. It's, it's about thinking several steps ahead rather than just yes or no answer. So I think in this way, the fact that I, my last two years of my high school were in like math school really helped me to kind of shape up my mind and also to approach this career in finance in the future. So you say that learning perhaps how to think is more important than the subject itself? I think that is very true. I think this is very true, especially for, you know, people in your age, you know, high schoolers, even young college students. I think often when we are in high school or even early years of college, we don't really know what we want. And oftentimes we don't really know what's available. Again, based on my experience, and I very much kind of regret that I didn't have the experience that some of, like, for example, my kids probably will have here in the U.S., I didn't really know what it is to be an economist. I didn't really know what to be a businessman. I didn't know what it to be a finance professor. Those things were not available. And, but importantly is, is to have a mindset which helps you probably to do some tweaks and change your, you know, learning, change your kind of goals as your interests change and you're going to learn. In fact, I have to say, I think it's a great, great benefit of American educational system that you can switch your major in a college fairly easy. It may take you another semester or maybe a year to finish, 
but it's actually a very small price for actually finding something you really, really like. In fact, several of my colleagues and very distinguished academic scholars, they have started a completely different field. One of them started as a pre-med, didn't like it, went to history, didn't like it, ended up in finance and is one of the biggest stars in finance now. Another one was doing something uh, in biochemistry or understood that's not his cup of cake and he's a finance academic now. A lot of people who come from, mathematics, from mathematics, a lot of people who come from engineering. I think it's really important to have a structured way of looking at things and also to look around and see, okay, I'm doing this now. Is it really something for me? Maybe I can, my interests are different. And there should be no fear that, okay, I'm switching my major. There's nothing, nothing wrong with you to kind of look for a different major, look in different discipline. You're still learning. And I think that's, that's, that's a wonderful part of things. Yeah, so talking about switching, you said earlier how you switched from a physics bachelor to finance economics. I forgot which one it was in for your master's degree. Why did you make that switch? Was it something you learned or were you planning it all along? So I think, again, it kind of goes back to your previous question. So again, I started in the math school. I was pretty good in that. I participated in different math competitions, once kind of winning some prizes. And the attitude that we had there in the school was there are only two things you can do in your life and the rest are really not that important. One is math and other in physics. So when I was going for undergraduate degree, I was like, you know, everything else is irrelevant. It's math is beautiful science and I would like to do that. And then I went to do my undergraduate in physics and by the middle of my sophomore year, I would say maybe beginning of junior year, I realized that's, that's probably not exactly what I want to do. And the reason why I have realized that is because as the college student, I was supposed to take some classes in other fields as well. So I took a class in economics and I loved it. I loved every little bit of piece and I excelled in this and I was thinking of switching, but then I had this fear that, you know, I need to complete my physics undergrad and then I have to maybe then. I think it's, it was, that was a mistake. I think you should, there's no need to push yourself, do something that you don't want. You need to reassess yourself. You shouldn't really kind of switch lightly if you wish, but you sh there's no shame to, to move to a different field. So I did my undergrad physics, but then I realized that's not what I want to do. I mean, I was fortunate I had an opportunity to join the master's program in economics. It was challenging for me since I didn't have much of an economics um, background, but my math, my background helped me a lot because economics to a large degree is an applied math. So uh, there's a lot of problems that did require some math problems, uh, math knowledge. So what I didn't know in terms of how business works, I could at least partially offset with my ability to solve, you know, kind of mathematically, it, problems mathematically. But over time, I also learned the economic part of it. So it kind of helped. And while I was taking these economics classes in my master's program, we had an opportunity to take some finance classes. And then again, I, that was a second love. The first love I've, you know, was economics. And then I realized that within economics, there are some things that I love even more. And that's basically what I uh, continued doing. So in many ways, it was a very winding road for me. And I wish I could kind of cut some corners from time to time and get to finance a bit earlier. 
but I'm glad I had this. Uh, you know, it, it happened this way. I mean, I would not switch it now. Mm-hmm. I think I. Students are kind of unsure of how college exactly works. Would you like to break down a bit about your specific experience moving when you decided that you were going to take a master's degree, that you were going to go into economics? Was there any other things going through your head, any mentors that you might have had at the school that helped you along the way? So it's a good question. I think important underst- it's important to understand that the exact setup, how things work, would vary from country to country. And again, I come from Ukraine, but also even from college to college. Some colleges require you to declare a major right away. Some colleges allow you to come un- undeclared, as we call, and then to choose your major in a, you know, sophomore or even junior year. Every college, every university will still ask you to take what are called general education classes. So even if you want to major in engineering or pre-med or finance, you will be asked to take classes in history, philosophy, literature, English. And I think this is a good thing because it helps you to be more well-rounded person, but also gives you a taste of what are other things about. And I think this is, again, important for you to be open-minded about, okay, I want to be majoring in finance. All right, fine. Why do you want it? Maybe you want to major in finance is because your brother or your cousin is majoring in finance, but you just don't know what engineering is about or history or philosophy is about. So I think it's good that every college would effectively expose you to many different fields. And I think this is a good opportunity for also for you to really decide for yourself. It's hard to you to make a firm decision in high school, and I don't think that should be your goal. You probably should think about what is that you are good at, but to find you and your interest later. For me, personally, the decision to study certain fields and you know, major in some areas was to a large degree determined by, the, by some excellent teachers I had. So in my high school, I had a really phenomenal teacher in math, and he was very tough. We were scared of him, and we feared of him, and we adored him. And I think typically he would give like two A's in a group of 25, and probably half of people would get D's. And, wow. C, and C was a good grade. <laughs> and honestly, like, you know, even getting like a pat on the back from him, would, some people would remember this for weeks. But anyway, he was really, really tough, but he was pushing us and making us better. And I think in every possible way. And I think this is something which motivated me to be like him. And then I went to economics program and there was an, another uh, teacher who was, again, he was teaching financial markets. And I really liked his teaching style. I really liked how he engaged and how he explained things. And I wanted in many ways do this because it looked to me so natural, so kind of interesting, just because the way he managed to engage and motivate me. So I think it's really helps if you get someone who is, who can excite you, who can motivate you, can kind of get you interested in certain things. Are they what led you to choose to be a professor instead of a different type of job? 
Not necessarily. I think that it's many ways. The, the reason I became professor was circumstantial. I never planned for it, even though both of my parents are teachers, but they are like, well, you can say high school teachers. I never planned for academic career, but because it took me so much time to finally find the field I'm, I like it, I ended up doing PhD. And I think once you do a PhD, the academic career becomes a sort of one of the natural outlets, even though probably if I would have tried harder, I should probably have looked for a job in academia, but I kind of went natural. Okay, you do PhD, then you do an academia. I, I like it. I like it, but I have to say, if I were 20 years younger, I may not have followed the very same career. I probably would have tried to go to business instead. I think after I've spent 20 years doing what I do now and succeeding, I would probably think that I would not advise it, for example, to everyone to do exactly the same. I think there are different things you can do with business degree and academic career is maybe not something I would probably choose from even for myself. <laughs> so what are some of the difficulties that you might face in the academic career? So the difficulty in the academic career is, first of all, I think, look, if you do undergraduate degree, you're done at 21, 22. And then you start looking for a job. And if you're doing, for example, undergraduate degree in business, finance, accounting, you start seeing some reasonable money at about that time, 22 years old, and you can start being an adult, okay? With academic career, what you happen, typically happens, you have to go through a very lengthy PhD graduate studies, postgraduate studies. It used to be that's going to take four years now with the challenges which are, so it's, you now have to have a much higher level of IT competence. When I joined PhD program in 1999, a long time ago, my knowledge of programming was very basic. I think I would not be able to get into the PhD program these days with that level of computer programming. It's now every, every scientist is, has to be a pretty decent coder. It, so these days it takes probably six, seven, sometimes eight years for you to go through this PhD program. So think about this. So when your classmates who are done with your undergraduate degree, they're already building their careers. They're already progressing through the ranks for their companies. You know, after eight years, you're probably a middle-level manager in some company or even more. You are just about to start your first job. And I think that's a lot of frustration, a lot of sacrifice. Moreover, some of the challenges of academic career is in the way the universities are located in the United States. So, for example, there's a lot, a lot of universities which are located in what we would call remote locations. So this land-grant university, so think about Champaign, think about Michigan State, think about Iowa, well, probably to less degree, but a lot of the large public state universities are located in remote locations. So this is college towns. There is very little social life for, not for the students, for students as well, fine. You have 40,000 of kids to, but for the academics, it's very limited. There's basically university employees, there's some hospital, and that's pretty much it. And, you know, we all social creatures, we would like to have a social life. There's little, little of that. On top of that, if you would like to switch jobs, for example, if, you know, if you are uh, working in a, uh, 
we'll call it, the real industry, if you're an accountant, you move from one company to another, usually it's a move across the street. In academia, if you are let go by the uni one university, you know, you're looking for a job at another university, you may have to relocate half of the country or different continent. And that's, of course, a challenge, especially if you have, you know, dual career problems, we call it, when your spouse is also in academia. So there are some difficulties that I think are associated with academic career. That, having said that, there's a lot of positives as well. So, for example, you have quite flexible daily schedule. You don't have to work nine to five. It doesn't mean that we don't work our 40 hours per week. We have a joke that, you know, academic career is beautiful because you... Decide yourself how you're going to work your 80 hours per week, you know, but, but oftentimes you have a flexibility and this flexibility is useful because, you know, it's good to have sometimes opportunity to sleep a little bit later. Well, or stay, you know, that comes of course for the fact you have to stay late, stay up late as well, but this flexibility is useful. You read, you learn a lot for yourself. And I think in terms of emotional and, um, mental development is great. You interact with some of the smartest people and in your field, that's great as well. And usually when you get what's called tenure, basically permanent contract, you have a guaranteed job till the rest of your days with few exceptions, which is good as well. But that is of course hard to get. It's really, really hard to get. You mentioned that the PhD program is like six to eight years. What is it like? What do you do as a PhD student? So. It really varies by field. So let me tell you about how it works in economics and finance. In engineering or in medical sciences, uh, it would work differently. So in economics, finance, it would go as well. For the first two years, you're primarily taking classes. This would be very advanced level classes. There'll be very complex classes. It would be typically a significant step up from, for example, classes you would take in your master's program and definitely much more complicated than undergraduate program. So this is two years that you take this classes, class work, and then you have your first evaluation. You have to pass what's called comp um, comprehensive exams. So this is like, they're gonna ask you everything that they have taught you for the two years, and then you have to excel. Once you've done that for the next three, four, five years, you need to write your dissertation. That basically means you have to write several papers, which are novel, the new novel that they have asking some new interesting questions. And believe me, there are thousands of people, tens of thousands of people who are writing something in your area and you need to find somewhere in between that is still unexplored, something still that is not known and you know answer this question comprehensively. So you need to write several papers. So the dissertation committee consisting of the professors in your department is going to prove it. Okay, so that takes, it may sound like, oh, why do you have to do four, five, six years for that? But let me give you an idea how the typical academic paper looks now these days. So in finance, so what you typically need to do, you need to find some good data. So for example, you would like to get the data on consumer loans. So you'll find a data set of 20 million consumer loans. And this data will have all the information about consumers and the banks which are provide these consumer loans and all the characteristics about the consumer, about the bank and about the loan itself, 20 million. Now you need to write a bunch of computer codes which are going to 
what they call clean the data. Clean meaning there's a lot of errors, there's a lot of mistakes, you need to find them, you have to clean the data. And then you need to analyze this data in many different ways. So we think about 20 million consumers taking this point. So even if you write the most efficient code, it typically takes hours, sometimes days for this cone to, to, to complete itself. And then when you have, have these results, you have to write a paper. You have to write a very well, in the sense you have to define it very clearly, what you do, how you do it, why what you do is different from what other people are doing. And you have to fit it all in the probably about 30 pages. Okay, so, and a lot of tables, a lot of results. So I would say from the outside, when you look at it, it thinks like, hmm, I probably could do it in two months. And I've seen people who have not done it saying in two months I can have a paper. It usually takes probably a year and a half and two per paper to write. So it's a bit kind of, it's a very monotonous, very tedious process, but hopefully when you write something that other people like and appreciate, it's, it's a pretty rewarding experience. Yeah, so beyond that, so you spent some time in France one summer, you did your PhD in Sweden. How would you say that the college system and maybe how you learn the differences between the colleges, between the US, Ukraine, Sweden, all of your experiences with that? So again, my experience with the European systems, I mean, Sweden and French was primarily in the graduate level. The, this undergraduate level, it was mostly the Ukrainian experience, which I don't think is very closely related to United States. What I would like to say, though, is at the undergraduate level, the U.S. system is much more flexible and actually much more applied, meaning we understand that the vast majority of kids who go to college they are not going to be aspiring to go to graduate programs. They don't really need some high-end stuff in their work. What they need, they need a tool set that they can apply at their jobs. So if you, if you are majoring in accounting, not in finance, you need to be able to, after four years of your undergraduate program, go and work in accounting in a company, be able to do the balance sheet and income statement analysis and things like that. You don't need to be studying some complicated theoretical stuff and some crazy models, which you're never going to use. We are very applied. We are very basically like a professional school. European system is somewhat different. European system still believe that we need to kind of give you the most kind of complicated stuff. And then if you're smart enough, you're going to sort out things at your workplace. No, a American system is trying to get you as close to your employer as possible. So we are focusing on giving you the job relevant skills. FH I think is great. I'm not saying European system is bad, but again, for 80% or 90% of people who never gonna uh, go to graduate school, this is exactly what they're looking for. This is exactly their money worth. And I do still believe that in US, you probably still have one of the best education systems. I mean, I'm not saying the best because it's, I need to kind of think maybe this is really number one or something. In, graduate, in terms of graduate school, I have no doubt the American uh, graduate, their graduate school is the best in the world. In terms of undergraduate, there's a, a lot of variation. But at the same time, I have to say, if you are motivated, if you are not just to pass classes and get your grades, but you really want to get something that is going to set you for the success in your future career, American education system is great. And you can get a decent degree and get, and get a, have a decent career 
out of pretty much vast majority of the U.S. colleges. You don't have to go to Harvard. You don't have to go to University of Chicago. You don't have to go to even to Champaign in order to get a good education in U.S. But oftentimes it's about you as the student to make most out of your opportunities. And that's the end of the episode. Before you leave, if you're in high school and are interested in business, economics, and or entrepreneurship, please check out the Junior Economic Club, also known as JEC, at junioreconomicclub.org. Tyler and I are both members, and they organize amazing events where you can learn a lot and meet other like-minded students. If you're a current professional and would like to share your own experiences and tips, please contact us at david at junioreconomicclub.org or tyler at junioreconomicclub.org. Both emails will be linked down in the description below. If you have any questions or comments about the podcast or a topic, please let us know. We would love to hear your thoughts. Anyhow, that's all for now. See you next time.